Welcome to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, Bill Jack from World View Academy with me on this edition. Bill, we go to the news bag today. Uh, we open it up for folks who want to give us questions, add some things, take issue with the things we say. Uh, simply write into host at generations.org and interact with these programs. So I'm on the, on the edition where I become the goat. Not the greatest of all time, but the goat and what you put the sins of the camp and drive him out of the out of the camp and that's my role in this in this particular well, broadcast that may be is, that, it. is that what that, this is that all may about be it. that may be it yeah. bill but not only am i the side nudge not the side kick just the side nudge now i become the goat on which you dump all of the sins and drive me out of the camp. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. <laughs> I think I'll just sit no, here and just be quiet for the rest of the broadcast. I don't think and so. And let you just kind of swing in the wind. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're all going to contribute to the questions that are posed to us on this edition. No, this is this is really one of the one of the best parts of doing this is that because we hear from our listeners, yeah. and we hear what's on their hearts and what's on their minds, we get to shed a little bit of light on on how to approach these issues biblically. Yeah, and so I'm, it's a good I'm, deal. I'm hoping we can offer some wisdom. Obviously, there are some difficult calls. Uh, we can't always provide the most accurate answer. But uh, we can hopefully provide the biblical principles that tie in. Okay, so Jason sends a message into us concerned about supporting Trump for president. Trump's abdication of the presidency to Fauci during COVID and his unwillingness to admit the jabs were awful and did so much damage to people is a real revelation into his worldview. DeSantis has the superior worldview, in my estimation, though he wasn't completely perfect during COVID either, but he admitted mistakes. That is something Trump seems incapable of doing. Thus, I find myself seeing DeSantis as the best candidate for the Christian and therefore the best candidate for the United States. So now we've done a worldview analysis of the Republican candidates running for the Republican nomination for presidency in the 2024 elections. And just basically, we want to look out for those who fear God. That's first and foremost. Uh, we want to be sure that this candidate does not endorse stealing and the redistribution of wealth. Uh, we also want to be sure that uh, that this candidate does not endorse wanton killing and abortion and useless wars. Um, we want to be sure that the candidate is opposed to the abortion state and the welfare state, as well as the warfare state. And we also want to be sure that the candidates are not in support of gross violations of the Seventh Commandment. So when it comes to the civil magistrate, we want to be pay attention to all the commandments, but it seems to me that the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Commandments are the commandments that tie in most directly to the civil magistrate's responsibility. And to the extent the civil magistrate is encouraging a society to break the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Commandments, he is to be rejected especially if we have opportunity to vote in the voting booth. So that's the first thing. The first thing is be sure that the candidate fears God. He may not be a born-again Christian evangelical, be a member of your particular denomination, but is there some modicum of the fear of God in this candidate? That's number one. Number two, is he encouraging the violations of the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments, or is he in some way discouraging the violation of the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments. To the extent that he encourages the violation of the 6th, 7th, 8th commandments, he has forfeited his right to be a civil magistrate 
because that is the very definition of what a civil magistrate is supposed to be doing yeah. in a given society. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Don't so, encourage murder, i.e. abortion, mm-hmm. okay, adultery, and encourage stealing. Yes. Which is excessive taxing, taxation. Yeah. And redistribution of wealth. And redistribution of wealth. Right. So I, I think this is pretty simple. Now, of course, everybody's got to make the decision based upon what they know about the candidates. Now, here's one of the challenges. We're to choose able men who fear God, hate covetousness, etc. That's Exodus chapter 18. Right. These are the people we choose to be judges and the civil magistrates in our particular countries. So choose the able men, men who fear God, men who hate covetousness. Well, those able men are those who have proven themselves in leadership, especially in leadership relating to public office. Now, why do I say that? Well, I think the governor is always a very good metric. Why? Because he's already been a governor. He's always ruled. He has a voting record. He has a veto record. Has he already reduced the debt? Has he fought off abortion? Has he fought back big government? Has that already happened with this guy? He's got a record. That's why these business people make for a bad choice, generally speaking. Now, when it comes to politics, never watch their lips. Remember how was it George H.W. Bush <laughs> yeah. said, read my, read lips. my lips, never no. do yeah. that. Never, right. never. In other words, read ne- their never lips. trust a politician. Never read their lips. Yeah. Never read their lips. Hold. Read their voting record. Yeah. And hold their feet to the fire on what they say and how they vote. There you go. What matters is their voting record. Now, I, I believe that DeSantis has proven himself as a candidate based on this record. Now, the next question is this. But can he win? I only vote for people who have a chance of winning. Well, now that's pragmatism, not principle. That's the first thing, especially when it comes to the primaries. But when it came to my elections, I ran for governor and U.S. Senate in the state of Colorado. The other candidates in the final election, in the November election, were pro-abortion. And they wanted governments to pay for abortion. That They were so committed to killing babies They wanted governments paying for uh, the killing of innocent children. And I felt that even if it appeared I did not have a chance to win, still people should vote for me. Even though I only walked away with three and a half to four percent of the vote in the November election. This would have been back in 1994 or 1998. So I it's my view that as long as Americans are given a pragmatism. And they will not stand on principle. They're going to probably revert back again and again to whether to vote for Hitler or Stalin. Well, what you first, as a as a voter, you have to look at the party platforms and then decide how do they how do they line up with biblical principles, and then you can analyze the candidates based on what the platform says and how they respond to the platform. And so in the last election, we here in Colorado had, for example, a candidate who was was openly pro-abortion as he ran for public office. And so in good conscience, I could not vote for him. Mm -hmm. Now, I did not vote for his opponent, who was equally committed to abortion. I abstained from voting Mm -hmm. because there was no there was no clear candidate. Yeah. So you, you, you filter the candidacy of a person based on biblical principles, based on what the party platform is, 
and then you you check and see if his actions matches his statements. Now, let's wade in on the Trump question, and Bill, you can come back on this as well. It's going to have to be a judgment call. Everybody's going to have to make a judgment call on Trump. Now, I've said this all the way back in the 2020 elections, that does Trump fear God, or does Trump fear Trump? Is Trump pro-life, or is Trump pro-Trump. Everybody's got to answer those questions. COVID-19, the COVID tyranny. Yes, Trump increased the budget beyond any president in the century. He increased the size of government, forcibly shut down the nation's economy. It was a big step. And he was in lockstep with Fauci. Yes. Yeah, that's what happened. And I'm not pleased with it either. Now, is that basically a no-go for voting for Trump in the November election or the primaries? That's what people are going to have to grapple with. It's going to have to drop, grapple with. I, I know, I know. And there's no perfect uh, elected official. There's no perfect candidate. And so, yeah, I struggle with how Trump handled that. I also look and see that he was probably, arguably, the most pro-life president in the history of our nation in his appointment of justices. And and three and, justices. Yep, and an appointment of lower court. Uh, judges. They were better than Sandra Day O'Connor. Yes. They were better than David Souter. Yep. All right. So, all right. But friends here, one last thing before we take the break, we still have to be careful with debatable matters. Okay. Um, you may have people in your church who are more pro-Trump, less pro-Trump, et cetera, et cetera. Don't get unduly angry over all these things. If somebody makes the wrong call, remember that politics doesn't really do that much to make a better country. Remember that as well. Politics is overstated because people are like to see the state as the savior. The state has actually become increasingly useless, as I see it, when it comes to actually making any positive change for the nation. Of course, it's pretty good at producing negative results. But still, the direction of the nation is far more set by Taylor Swift than Joe Biden. The direction of the nation is far more set by the schools, the universities, and the seminaries Mm -hmm. than Joe Biden. Keep it in mind, friends. We have more battlefronts than you think. And if it's only politics in your mind, you're just going to lose. You're just going to lose. And and you you are correct. It it is attributed to Abraham Lincoln, though there's no no, uh, verification of this. But the statement is still true, and that is that the philosophy in the classroom in one generation will become the philosophy of the government in the next. Yeah. And certainly Adolf Hitler and others have picked up on that. Yeah. Be back with more. Another question for us on the food laws, the Old Testament food laws. That next on Generations. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered Bible-saturated, biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularists for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. 
We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org. And back on Generations, Kevin Swanson with you, Bill Jack, as well. Another question comes in the mailbag at host at generations.org. Here's what uh, this gentleman says. I have to say I'm a supporter of yours. Very blessed by your program. Uh, Bill said, "Okay, Bill, right. this is you. Okay, we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go after Bill at this point." Yep. Bill said, "Because of Peter's vision, we can eat whatever we want. No food is unclean. I was raised under this belief, but based on the Word of God, that's a wrong interpretation of the vision. Peter himself gives us the interpretation in Acts ten twenty eight. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean." In addition to the vision, God never corrects Peter for not eating unclean food, and there are no examples of the apostles eating unclean meat as prescribed in the law. If Jesus is the Word, and he said before he ascended to go and do all that he commanded, we should take a closer look at what God has declared, what is good to eat. We know that we're justified only through the blood of Christ, but out of obedience and love for him, we should follow his laws. Lastly, I'm concerned uh, that Y'all make a difference between the sacrificial law, food law, and the moral law. I do not see the Bible where these categories exist. All right. Well, there it is. Well, you know, I, I would point out in Mark seven seventeen through 23, Jesus himself declared that all foods were clean. Okay. And that um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Uh, Romans fourteen seventeen: The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we can, if if you want to uh, abstain from eating certain foods out of conscience or because of health reasons, that's great. And I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem if it is imposed upon everybody. If you make it an imposition and then it becomes a matter of, well, I would call it, you know, legalism. Now, everybody's legalistic about something. I'm just trying to be legalistic about grace. But once I get that down, Kevin, boy, I'm in, I'm telling you. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> because we we all have our preferences. Mm-hmm. We all have our lines that we draw either based upon how we were raised or based upon traditions in the in the denomination in which we're raised or based upon our interpretation of scripture. But we have to recognize that that it's not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness. Peace right. and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right. But righteousness again defined by God's law. God's so law. we're still back to the question of God's law. I have Christian friends who go both ways on this. And this has been debated right. from the first century. Don't get the idea that everybody's been hunky-dory unified on these issues, my friends. There are the gnats and the camels. 
Got to say, there's the gnats and the camels. Now, Jesus did say, be careful you're not straining at gnats and swallowing camels. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, among born-again evangelical biblical Christians, there is very little debate over whether adultery is wrong. Amen? Amen. Okay. And homosexuality. The, the culture is creeping into the church on that one and, and trying to, to blur the lines on that one. Yeah. But, but scripture is very clear. I'm talking about, about biblical Christians. Right. Okay. When it comes to biblical Christians, there's little debate over whether adultery is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, bestiality, incest. First Corinthians 5 and 6 and 1 Timothy 1 speak to the evils of sexual sin and Old Testament law related to those sexual sins. Okay. Exactly. Done. Now, there's a principal application relationship as well that people need to be aware of when it comes to Old Testament law. So we need to back up a little bit and say there's principle and there's relationships. There's a parapet law to build a parapet around your housetop where there was rooftop entertainment occurring. Now, the parapet law had some limited application, but it pointed to a fuller principle of protecting human life, which could be applied in the modern world. Uh, in the area of swimming pools and porches and such. Okay, right. so we get that. The parapet law has what we would call an application as implemented in the Old Testament, which we would not implement on our rooftops today, and yet there's modern-day applications to the principle contained in the Old Testament application. All right. The principle of the sacrificial law is what? In the book of Hebrews, it's very clear. So we can't just be blurring everything by saying moral law, ceremonial law, et cetera, et cetera. It's all the same level of principle. No, there's a principle slash application relationship in all the laws. So we're not talking about the distinctions between laws as systems here. We're talking about the distinction between principle and application, which the word of God assumes that we're going to take up. All right. So the principle of the sacrificial laws is what? Remission With, of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Right. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. That goes all the way back to Abel and his blood sacrifice, and then all the way through the Old Testament, through the Mosaic Law, and all the applications of that particular principle and the shedding of blood of bulls and goats and all the rest over a period of several thousand years. Yeah, the temple was, was a very bloody place. It, it very much was. So, yeah. so those were the applications of the broader principle. The broader principle being what? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. But the application of that Old Testament principle is found in Christ, in the New Testament. And this is the point of the book of Hebrews. It's the completion of, of that principle. Absolutely, because yeah. the Old Testament applications were so limited and ineffectual, ultimately. Now, what makes laws relating to sexuality clear is that they are reiterated, and these sins are clearly condemned in the New Testament, except for bestiality. Okay, homosexuality, incest, etc., condemned in the New Testament, with the exception of bestiality. Leviticus 18 and 20 clear on not laying with the same sex and not laying with animals. Okay, so we understand very clearly that Leviticus 18 and 20 do apply in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. And because the Leviticus 18 and 20 principles relating to homosexuality and incest apply in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we can also assume that the laws relating to bestiality also apply. Okay, so that part should be clear, except to the absolutely most blinded and most demonically deceived among the pseudo-Christians out there. Now, one more thing. There are at least three categories of ways to handle Old Testament law in New Testament ethics, so we need to go through this, okay? Three ways to handle Old Testament laws 
when it comes to New Testament ethics. Okay, so here's how it works. Number one, the New Testament sometimes plainly repeats the condemnation of certain sins mentioned in the Old Testament. That should be obvious. We're not to consume blood, commit adultery, homosexuality, etc. These things are confirmed in Acts 15, 1 Corinthians 6, etc. Now, the second category is this. The New Testament doesn't mention the sin and does not condemn it. But the sin is still condemned in the Old Testament. Bestiality falls under that category. It's not repeated in the New Testament, and yet it's clearly condemned in the Old Testament. The civil laws fall under this category as well. Jesus confirms the justice of the civil magistrate stoning a son who strikes his father and mother in Matthew 15, but there's no confirmation of the law that requires a stoning of a person picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. All right. Now, number three, the New Testament also at times specifically confirms that the law has changed in regards to some particular thing. Okay, now let's say that the New Testament says it's okay to trip a blind man now. And you don't need to put a parapet on your porch or rooftop when entertainment's happening. Well, then I guess it's okay to trip a blind man. If the, Old, if the New Testament comes in and says, oh, by the way, it's okay to change this particular law. Again, the Old Testament, there's a fairly clear law that says you should not put a stumbling block before a blind man. By the way, we had a blind man come to our house a few years ago. My wife was at the airport, DIA. She was sitting there. And this blind man is sitting right next to her, white cane and all that. And the attendant comes up and says, oh, by the way, sir, your flight was canceled. Your flight will, again, be rescheduled for tomorrow. And he was sitting there, well, where do I go to sleep? I don't have anywhere to go. My wife said, why don't you come to our house? She's a total stranger sitting right next to her. You could come to our house. She called me and says, hey, I got this blind man here. He needs a place to stay tonight. Can he come all the way down from DIA to Elizabeth and stay at our house? I said, absolutely, please do. And so my wife invited him to our house. We fed him dinner, gave him a place to sleep. I led him by the arm downstairs and helped him to the bathroom. I didn't trip him. I was very careful not to trip the blind man, okay? We took him to the prayer meeting with us. He's an older African-American gentleman. And then we took him back to the airport the next morning, bought his breakfast for him, and sent him back home to St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. I'm pretty sure he was an angel, but whatever the case, he was blind. And, and I did not trip him. The point is I did not trip him. Now, the New Testament does not specifically say that you can trip a blind man now and you have no need to put parapets around places where you know, people could fall off and hurt themselves. Now, the law of circumcision, on the other hand, very much appears to have been specifically discontinued for the Gentiles in Acts 15. Yeah. So that would be an example of this. Now, again, I'm going through certain laws and saying there are some laws that have been specifically abrogated and some have not. Now, here's one more category. That is, the New Testament may use a wide-sweeping statement and throw out the import of the entire Old Testament law. Uh, now, this we don't see in the New Testament. We don't see the New Testament throwing out everything, but rather specifically saying, no, no, don't need to circumcise right now, but the law relating to consuming blood, don't do it. Okay. Now for the $100,000 question. Okay. This is the question we come yeah. back to. Where are the sacrificial laws, the food laws, the tithing laws, and the Sabbath laws? Now, I already dealt with the sacrificial laws. We abide by the principle. Absolutely. And Jesus fulfills it. Okay. Right. So we got that. But what about the food laws, the tithing laws, the Sabbath laws? Now, that's not an easy question. Let me say this. Very controversial all the way from the beginning, second century. During the Old Testament era, for example, God wanted 10% plus 3.33% per year for the poor. That was 13.33% of your money. 
and 14.1% of your time, one in day and seven. So roughly 13.3% of your money went to the poor tithe, went to the Levites in the Old Testament, and 14.1% of your time, which is one in seven. That's your Sabbath. So so 14.1% of your time, 13.3% of your money. God had ordained that for himself or for distribution as he had required it. Okay. Now, there's a huge amount of obviously, you know, debate on these sorts of issues. The New Testament church was always torn on this because they kept thinking that there would be freedom to dedicate to God all of their time and money. Their very lives belong to God. In fact, in the case of the Didascal Apostolorum, the early church hardly recommended the study of the Old Testament for the congregations and urged pastors to point out how the commandments of the law and the prophets agree with the gospel. The assumptions continuity here, yet the pastors were charged to be a good discriminator between what they called the law of believers and the chains of unbelievers. The chains found in Deuteronomy included, now this is the quote, sacrifices, sin offerings, purifications, vows, gifts, oblations, tithes, first fruits, and heave offerings. And that's the Delascali Apostolorum, which goes all the way back to the, an early Syriac document of the second century. Irenaeus of Lyons as well, this is second century stuff as well, affirmed the validity of the Ten Commandments. But he also included both the Old Testament sacrifices and tithes under a category he called the laws of bondage. According to this church father, the Old Testament Jews were required to give 10% of their income, but now the New Testament saints should be, here it is, willing to give all of it up as needed. And he said the Old Testament Sabbath taught that we should continue day by day in the Lord's service. So very interesting that the early, early, early church fathers, look at Irenaeus, a man who was discipled by Polycarp, who was discipled by the Apostle John. We're just two away from the Apostle John here. So again, there has been some debate on these issues from the very beginning. Um, now, what if I said this, Bill? I turned to my family and I said, okay, for my birthday, kids, you must buy a present for me, minimum 80 bucks. 80 bucks, all five children. For my next birthday, it's $80 minimum. What would you say? That's a, it's a bit legalistic. <laughs> well, you know, where's the love? And, and, where's the love? You know, where's and, the love? Where's there's, there's no, no, there's no charity involved. Yeah, in yeah, that. exactly. It, it's, exactly. It's a so, coercion. So, so now do you understand the issue? What does God really want from us? Yeah. He wants a willing heart, a heart that's overflowing in a desire. Now, now, okay, here's the absolute minimum. You absolutely must give and and nothing less than this. Well, maybe just a little more freedom to give God whatever I want to give him. And hopefully I'm giving him even more. Right. That's the, that's the, the thrust of New Testament. And I, I think people get away from this. They get away from love. Love is not important. Now, back to the food laws and the Sabbaths. Now, it's very interesting to me that in Colossians 2.16, now listen to this. Paul takes these up in his writings. He says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, where, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So these sorts of things were shadowy from the Old Testament era. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is the living in the world? Do you subject yourselves to these regulations? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, you need to note here that Paul doesn't say, what does he not say? Paul does not say, let no one judge you concerning the category of sexual sin, homosexuality, incest, etc. He's very careful not to say that. So, so even those who are pretty strict on the unhealthy elements of bottom feeders like shrimp and omnivores like pigs and bears, I think should pause for just a moment and say, is there more Christian liberty allowed on these matters today than with the Old Testament Jews? 
it seems to me, I mean, I think everybody should at least ask the question, right? Everybody should at least ask the question based upon what we read in Romans 14 and what we're reading in Colossians chapter two. We need to step back and say, do you think that there may be more liberty? Now, again, we're not saying that you go out, break all the laws. We're simply saying Paul focused in on the food laws and the Sabbath laws and says this, let no man judge you. Now, does that mean there's individual application to certain families and certain peoples? Absolutely. Allow for as much Christian liberty as possible. Well, let me close with this. I want to close with this. We have just a minute left. Too many conservative believers become fixated on matters such as the day of Sabbath observance, head coverings and modesty issues, the consumption of animal blood, the quantity of water to use in a baptism, the use or disuse of tattoos, the celebration of holy days, tithing, the regulative principle of worship, the use of the rod and child discipline, the use of wine, etc. Some of these externals are matters of Christian liberty and some are addressed in biblical law, granted. How are any of these an outworking of the weightier matters of the law? Love for God, humility, mercy, and faith. What's the connection? The truly regenerate heart and spirit-filled believer will immediately make these connections. Those who claim to be the most conservative sects in Christianity often turn out to be the most spiritually unhealthy for this very reason. Is there much value, speaking of the Sabbath or tithing, if there is little love for God or laying down a life for the brother? For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Now, again, what I'm trying to do here, this is the end of my section on the law of God in my book, Worldview. I'm trying to say, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's what the word of God does over and over and over again. Yeah, Jesus so, Jesus said, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, we do, do, do we do that because we have to to get to heaven or because we want to because we're so grateful? Amen. Right? That's the motive. That's the motive. Friends, uh, we summarize these things in my book, Worldview, what they believe, what we believe, and why they are wrong. That, that, that book really summarizes a very basic construct of a biblical worldview put in about 400 pages, but it really gives what I hope to be a, a solid biblical foundation that, that actually bears a lot of Christian history behind it. In other words, I'm not, we're not starting some new cult here. We're looking at 2,000 years of, of, of Christian wisdom that come through the ages, as well as, of course, the biblical foundations for things like, well, the law of God and the application of God's law to every area of life. The book is called Worldview. It's available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.